happens. A lot of us grew up in times where that wasn't talked about. You know, my discipleship was really mostly about behavior modification, but no one really helped me to understand the stuff inside of me that needed to be dealt with and that Jesus wanted to transform just as much as he wanted to transform the externals and the behaviors of my life. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Thanks for jumping in today. And we just wanted to say thank you to those who have been rating and reviewing the podcast. And if you haven't rated or reviewed it, please do that. That helps us get this message of hope into more and more leaders' earbuds and ultimately their hearts and minds. Uh, We're excited for another episode today. We have some great content, but I also want to share a little bit today about uh, a trip that we just had called the Phoenix Phillip. So I'm here with my co-host, David Bloom. Hey, Alan. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode and to share a little bit about our trip and our experience uh, a couple weeks ago. So both David and I uh, got to go. It was 10 total pastors, uh, us included, and we got to go down to Phoenix. It was nice and warm. We left the snowy, you know, spring weather of Colorado as we have here. And uh, it was just an incredible week. So we wanted to pause and just kind of decompress a little bit from that, share some of our thoughts uh, and David and I, just to discuss some of the moments that stuck out for us. And um, we've had this dream of launching um, sort of an anti-conference, not that we are against conferences, but just very much at least an unconference. the idea of just going away and resting after the Easter push uh, for pastors. And we're going to host all kinds of experiences that we're going to call Stay Forth, Go Forth. We've got a ladies one coming up in the fall in a lodge in Colorado that our ladies on the team are planning right now. It's going to be incredible. But this first one, was a big one for us. So, David, I just want to hear for you, you know, a couple weeks out from that, what were a couple of moments that really stuck out to you? Just super powerful times with the guys. Yeah, I think one thing that I've learned in this season, and it's just a general principle, is that rest doesn't happen unless we're intentional about it. And so this time together was an intentional space where we cultivated an environment where rest can happen together with other leaders and we can process, we can reflect. Um, and we can rest and just um, be ourselves for just a moment uh, in time. And so that was one of the most powerful moments for me was just that the whole week weekend was cultivated and curated so that these guys, these leaders could genuinely rest because it was an intentional time where um, they were just loved and poured into um, and given space and given margin, which um, so many of us are are needing and wanting. And that was a gift for so many. And, and that's kind of the theme that seemed to run through this trip with these pastors was that this was a gift for them. And uh, I think they really cherished that time of rest, um, no expectations. They never had to pull out their wallet to pay for anything. It was just, they just got to be. And um, that's, that's incredibly needed in ministry culture, but just overall uh, for any leader. Um, just that moment to have margin to rest. And so it was amazing to see Michael, who came on that trip with us, and you um, cultivate that experience for people to just just have an experience, not lead it, not put it on, not perform, um, but just have that experience together was was really, really powerful. Yeah, we're so used to planning the actual thing and to you know coming with teaching ready or coming with an idea ready. And it basically, once it hit the ground, we got everything taken care of. And we'd really curated that intentionally. Um, Get personal with us a little bit, David. Was there a moment that stuck out to you as incredibly relaxing or refreshing or fun? Uh, What was a highlight for you? Well, um, Michael 
put together an eight course meal. And I don't, I don't remember exactly how long it was. It was three and a half to four hours of just eating slowly with conversation. And that was the moment where such, such rich conversation happened around the dinner table. Um, we were outside. It was a warm uh, Phoenix night and we just got to share laughs, share life together, the ups and downs of ministry, what we're processing right now. I don't know if I've ever done that, especially with a group of pastors where a meal is that long. And you you almost feel guilty in ministry where you're like, I can't spend that much time doing that or this. Um, there's there's too much to do. And so to just have the space to just enter into that kind of intentional conversation was was amazing. And um, it, it, it was like kind of centered around this word delight, where we got to delight in things and just delight in this space with each other and a space to just reflect and delight in our relationship with God. That space was was deeply intentional, and that's why I think it could happen. But yeah, I mean, that was amazing for one thing. I mean, it was like all sorts of things that, you know, you 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 probably wouldn't order on a menu because you're worried about finances. And um, we just got to be, um, I mean, the food was basically lavished on us. Um, not literally, we, we ate it like normal people, but it, it, it was an amazing experience, an eight course beer paired menu that, that Michael created for us. A couple words. I mean, you, you mentioned rest and then delight and kind of the third word that I heard was spoiled just to hear a bunch of pastors say, man, I felt spoiled. Uh, and we even had a follow-up blog post on that of just saying, when was the last time you were spoiled? And uh, I don't think we do that very well and even let ourselves be spoiled. Like you said, we can feel guilty about that time or that energy. Um, so grateful that our wives let us, you know, head away for the week. And so part of that, you, you know, even feel guilty in the midst of that. But uh, like we, we were just saying, I mean, what an incredible time to kind of recover together from the Easter push, which can be really, um, really hard and, and draining all kinds of bipolar emotions for pastors. So, man, I, I loved it. It was awesome to have you there. Fun to hear guys in the pool. I mean, I also don't know that I've belly laughed that hard in a really, really long time. And then we'd go straight into just a super deep conversation. And it was uh, it was incredible to kind of see that, the stuff that you could never plan along the way. So can't wait for more of these. Um, we'll release information soon uh, on the ladies gathering that'll again be out at a lodge in Colorado. All ladies are invited. Um, we're going to have several more of these coming up. Uh, Stay forth, go forth, where you can go out of your context to then come back more faithfully into your context, refreshed, replenished. So really excited for that. And uh, that word replenish is a big one. We actually had uh, a speaker come in via Zoom. His name is Lance Witt. We're going to have Lance share with us in just a few minutes. I sat down for an interview with Lance actually in his home and uh, just enjoyed the hospitality and my conversation. We'll, We'll have him back on the podcast. I mean, he's a wealth of information, kind of known as the pastor's pastor today. And he talked to us pastors about that word replenish, about getting to a space where we're not only living in a way that is life-giving to other people, but we're getting to experience God's love in the midst of life and, and ministry. So we're excited to bring you this conversation with Lance Witt. We will share more about the Stay Forth, Go Forth experiences coming up. But as you listen to this, please take a time down on your calendar, mark that time off to be able to Sabbath. Lance talks about Sabbath. He talks about rest and we just simply cannot keep running at the same busy pace that we're at without pausing, reflecting, and letting the living God shape us. So enjoy this interview with my friend, the pastor to many pastors, Lance Witt. 
Well, guys, I'm really excited about today's episode, and I get the rare chance actually to sit in the room as we record together. Uh, and I've got a friend of mine, Lance Witt, with me today. And I read his book this summer, High Impact Teams, and I thought, why don't I know this guy? And I find out he's also a Colorado guy, and so we're actually physically sitting in the same room together. So, Lance, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Alan. It is a privilege to get to be with you. It's been fun to get acquainted and feel like uh, you're becoming a new good friend of mine, and I'm looking forward to being on this podcast with you and just talking about stuff that really does matter to leaders. Well, I can tell that it matters to leaders. It matters to you. So much of it comes out of your story. So let's just start there. Uh, Give us a background of your story, kind of your leadership journey, and then, of course, your pastoral journey as well. Yeah, I kind of go all the way back to uh, coming fresh out of seminary as a really young man and taking my very first church and became a senior pastor at the age of 23. And uh, sometimes I feel like I should go back and hunt down all those people in that church and apologize to them for inflicting myself on them. You know, I had lots of zeal, not much wisdom, lots of passion, not much experience. But man, I was ready to go in ministry and build a mega church in this town of 3,000, you know, with my 60-member church. And, uh, you know, again, long story, but my first five years there, uh, uh, you know, I, I felt like such a failure. We didn't see all the stuff happen that I dreamed about happening. And I wanted to leave so badly. And finally, after five years, God allowed us to get to a place that was a little better fit for us. And um, over the course of about 20 years, I, I was a senior pastor in three different churches and uh, some really good ups and downs in ministry. But um, in 1999, I got asked to join the staff at Saddleback Church and Honestly, to tell you the truth, I had been a senior pastor of medium-sized churches, and all of a sudden I'm in this gigantic church with a guy that had been sort of a ministry hero of mine, and I felt so in over my head, and I felt so inadequate, and I I walked around with kind of this fear like, if they ever really discover who all I'm not, I'm going to be off the bus in a hurry. Um, but I, I began to be in charge of their spiritual growth campaign, small groups. I became a teaching pastor there. And after a couple of years, I was asked to serve as the executive pastor over all the ministry side of the church. And it was during those years, Alan, that Rick wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. And that was such a game changer for him and for the rest of us around him. But it was also a season of incredible chaos. I'll often tell people it was both the most intoxicating season of my life and toxic season all at the same time. And I, I sometimes think about it like I was an alcoholic who got a job at a bar. And I did not know how to lead myself during those days. And so the bottom line is I got in a very unhealthy place and began to feel like I I couldn't stay. I knew I couldn't be healthy in that environment. I didn't have the skills to do it. And so after four pretty lengthy conversations, we decided to step down. And uh, I was really in a moment of crisis in that moment, kind of burned out, fried, uh, confused, not sure what I should do with my life. And one night on a long plane ride to Singapore, just cried out to the Lord, like, God, what do you want me to do in this season of my life? And I've never had that many mystical experiences. But in that moment, God just met me in such a real way with such clarity and said, I want you to help leaders be healthy, holy, and humble. And I felt very unqualified, but I also felt in that moment like I could give my life to that. And so that was the birthplace of this idea of a ministry called Replenish. And part of it's really my own journey, Alan, of like 
trying to bring my own soul back to life and understand what does it look like to live and lead from a healthy soul. And I think the order of that's really important, that it's not just about leadership, but how do I live well? And then out of the overflow of that, begin to, to do ministry from a healthy place. So, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been doing this ministry, trying to come alongside leaders personally and in their churches to provide practical coaching that isn't so much about their preaching or their small groups, but it's about them because, you know, the greatest asset they have to give their church is their own healthy soul. And so that's kind of what I'm doing these days. So much of our stories uh, are linked up together here. And again, when I read this book, High Impact Teams, I thought, man, like I swear I, I haven't plagiarized. You know, I've been quoting it a lot recently, but to say that that's the exact same message that we have. And I love um, the way that you're pushing into the heart of leaders. Uh, I know so much of that is behind the scenes that nobody will ever see the coaching, the consulting, the teams that you're helping to work into a place of health. And so um, just to see that you're doing that, so encouraging to us. I mean, I was about two years into ministry, embarrassingly. I mean, you made it several years. I almost burned out two years into ministry with as much freedom, as much energy, uh, as much youth as I'd ever have. Uh, and then to see, man, if that's how quickly I can go here, um, then what's ahead? What's next? We were talking a little bit about ambition earlier. Um, and obviously, we have we have issues that we need to deal with. So I'm so grateful for you that God has really um, put that mission, that charge on your heart um, talk a little bit about kind of pastoring pastors. What beyond the replenish space has, has led you to pastor pastors? It's a really unique calling you have, Lance. I remember the first time uh, that idea even sort of got dropped in my spirit. It was actually on my last day at Saddleback, and they were doing a little reception for us and uh, up in the executive area. And a few people were gathered at the lunchtime, and a, a friend of mine named Steve who worked in Rick Warren's office um, he's, as they were kind of going around saying really nice things, he said, you know, when I think about Lance, I think that I believe he's a pastor to pastors. That's what I think of when I think of him. And God just dropped something in my spirit kind of in that moment to go, yeah, I have, I, I really do want to be that. I want to be that person because so many pastors don't have any place to go. They don't have that kind of safe environment where they can just show up and talk about what's really going on in their life or their marriage. And so I just wondered, being a local church guy, and I am a local church guy, could I actually come alongside and be a friend to a pastor and be that place where he could feel that he could share anything and he wouldn't be judged, but he would be unconditionally loved and that I, I wouldn't want anything from him because every pastor has so many people who always need something from him. And I just had this thing in me that said, I just want to be sort of someone who can be that place of blessing and refuge and encouragement for that pastor. And so hopefully God's equipped me, you know, just by my personality to do that. But he's given me lots of opportunity over the last several years to, to come alongside a lot of pastors and just love on them. Well, you get it. I mean, you know, the, the challenges of that, you know, sort of uh, the energy that it zaps out of you after preaching, not just once in a weekend, but multiple times. Um, you've seen, you know, the extreme growth season at Saddleback. And on one side, everybody says, that's amazing. But you see how that can kind of grind your soul down. Um, so I want to talk about overwhelm. We talk about pastor overwhelm, church leader, ministry leader overwhelm many times um, as kind of heading toward burnout, right? Stay overwhelmed too long. So are there some unique factors today, like in this moment, that you feel like 
um, lead us toward burnout or overwhelm faster than in the past? Yeah, I think that's a great topic. And I, I, you know, I've been in ministry a long time. I've been a Christ follower now almost 50 years, which is kind of hard to even say out loud, but you're not even that old. Like how did you come to know Christ at minus five years? Yeah, whatever. I actually just celebrated my 60th birthday. So, um, but ministry today is so much more complicated. The kinds of issues that pastors and ministry leaders in the front lines of ministry today are dealing with are so much more complicated. And the stresses and pressures culturally and inside the church, families falling apart, I just think the kind of stress that's on pastors is way different than it used to be. And I'll tell you another pressure. Today, you've got to be a slam dunk communicator. Because every single week, your people can get online and listen to some of the best communicators in the world. Um, and so you can't, you know, you can't be a C minus preacher. You got to bring the goods. You got to be practical. You got to be relevant. You've got to be inspirational. And there's just a ton of pressure that comes, I think, uh, for that in pastors. And then you get the whole idea of the kind of criticism that pastors get you know, maligned with these days. I often think about people will say things online in an email that they would never say to you in person. And so again, just sort of the the kind of barrage of criticism and, and entitlement and stuff that plays into a pastor's world these days is just so much different than it used to be. And I think all of that leaves us in this place of like, oh my gosh, I just feel overwhelmed and stressed out and I think, Alan, actually it makes the case of why this whole issue of soul care is more important than ever, because we do get our souls drained more quickly. We we lose our way more quickly. And one of my favorite sayings I, I use from a guy named Parker Palmer um, in my ministry is, every leader has a special responsibility to pay attention to what's happening inside himself or herself lest the act of leadership do more, more harm than good. And I just think that is so spot on that if I don't pay attention to my soul and what's going on inside of me and manage that well and lead myself well, I actually run the risk of prostituting that sacred gift of leadership influence and actually doing more harm than good. And that's a scary thing. So that overwhelm thing, it's real. The fact that you talk about, I mean, honestly, ministry, prostitution, using people for something that's so sacred. Um, I was looking for it uh, earlier today. I see online that the latest thing is um, figuring out pastors have been outed for having really expensive shoes. And I don't know if you saw it, but, but for preaching in really expensive shoes. And it's like, what is it next, you know? Uh, and so it's hard to even keep up. I mean, by the time this podcast releases, who knows what the latest thing is? Um, but we're weary of hearing that. You know, it's a tough day to be a pastor and um, the intricacies, the nuances of that. Interesting you talk about the communication piece of that, that to yeah. say the world has globalized and, you know, sort of the best communicators, teachers, preachers have risen to the surface. And um, just the overwhelm that can come from even the identity crisis of who am I, God? Am I even qualified? Am I even good enough to be called uh, to this? Um, so let's talk about just kind of plain, simple, uh, really basic advice. What advice would you give to every single pastor? Number one, and I teach this a lot, you've got to own your own spiritual life. You know, Henry Cloud makes this great statement when he says, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. 
It's not up to anybody else. I'm not a victim. It's, it's not up to my board or my spouse. I've got to own my own spiritual health. And I, I feel like, honestly, there were lots of years when I would sort of play the victim card and where it got really the ugliest was, was at home. And, you know, my wife would, you know, we'd have this argument about how I wasn't ever there. And even when I was there, I wasn't really there. And I was always on my phone or my computer and I wasn't spending time with the kids. And, you know, and I would sometimes play that victim card, which says, hey, babe, it's, it's just for a season or, hey, this is just how it is in ministry. And I think one of the best days of my life was the day I kind of stared in the mirror and realized like, hey, I'm responsible for my for my own spiritual life. Nobody else is responsible for that. And so I think for some of us, if we just put a stake in the ground around that, that would be the game changer. Um, and then I think I'd also say, you know what, you got to start doing some diagnosis of some of the stuff in your soul that is broken and will always keep your leadership under a lid because you're not self-aware about stuff that's broken in you. So for me, one of those issues is the issue of drivenness and busyness, kind of a compulsive busyness. And I've always tried to, you know, be a big fan of productivity hacks and how I could work smarter and not harder. And one day I remember I had my calendar out and I was trying to juggle some things and it was like the Holy Spirit just took the spotlight and shined it on my soul and said, so Lance, why are you so driven? What's behind that? Why are you so compulsively busy? Why does it matter to you so much what people think of you? What, what's all that about? And that journey began me sort of on this inward journey to realize that it wasn't just a scheduling thing or a productivity thing, that there was something broken in me and it played itself out in my marriage and how I treated my team and, and in so many external ways. And so I think for every pastor to go on this journey of kind of self-awareness you know, I heard this great statement that self-awareness is your best defense against self-deceit. And we just have to grow in that. And the truth is a lot of us grew up in times where that wasn't talked about. You know, my discipleship was really mostly about behavior modification, but no one really helped me to understand the stuff inside of me that needed to be dealt with and that Jesus wanted to transform just as much as he wanted to transform the externals and the behaviors of my life. And so I think you've got to do the hard work of letting the Holy Spirit probe around on some of that stuff inside of you that, you know, some of it goes way back to your family of origin and you're going to need to deal with that if you're going to be healthy. And then I guess the other thing I would just always talk about in a conversation like this is the issue of a healthy rhythm of life. Um, I think, you know, God obviously expects us to work hard and have a strong work ethic. And often we talk about being all in and we get that in ministry, there are sacrifices but if you're going to stay in this for the long haul, you've got to learn how to have a healthy rhythm that's going to keep you in the game over the long haul. And the good news is God has given us a very practical strategy called Sabbath. This idea of one day in seven that is not about work and productivity and achieving, but it's more about stopping and resting and delighting and enjoying God and having unhurried time with him and unhurried time with our our families, and letting that refill our soul so that we can do ministry in a healthy way. The Jews have this great little practice I'll tell you about. It's called Havdalah. And in Havdalah, they light a candle to mark the beginning of their Sabbath. And it's a reminder to them that this day is different than the rest of the week. 
And at the end of the 24 hours, they take that candle, they extinguish it in a cup of wine and pour some of that wine into a saucer. And the symbolism is this, that if you will do Sabbath well, it will spill over into the other days of your week and you'll be a better person the other six days because you actually practice Sabbath on the seventh day. And so I think if, you know, two or three things like own your stuff, take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Get on a journey to pay attention to your soul and the stuff inside of you that you need to deal with, and then learn to have a healthy rhythm of life. So good. We, um, I love that Sabbath is coming back. We talk so much about that. Maybe you're like tired of hearing that on the podcast. You're like, ready, stop saying it. Maybe God is trying to get you know your attention as you're driving or working out or whatever. We had AJ Swoboda on the podcast, um, pretty much a whole episode on rest, rhythm, Sabbath. Um, and just fascinating to see how we've lost that. And then how has that come back into view? We kind of feel more human. I started practicing Sabbath about 10 years ago out of desperation, not out of holiness, but just feels like this is what God's given me just to make it and to see that every week there are things that sort of come back alive in me. Um, it's interesting you're saying we're ridiculously in charge. And many times it's so easy to play the victim, blame it on ministry, blame it on being pastor. I mean, it, the, the church gets blamed for so many things that are my fault. And I have this phrase now that I say, my kids even got me a shirt for Father's Day. It says, I don't receive that. And things in me that I would say, whether it was a scarcity mentality, I'll never have enough time, money, energy, whatever, um, no longer is that an excuse. And as you see, there are toxic ministry situations we need out of, but many times we're creating that toxicity in ourselves. Um, talk a little bit about self-awareness. Everybody seems to be talking about it. Um, how do we grow? What are some practical ways to grow in self-awareness? Yeah, I think one just simple starting place is to recognize that you have a soul. You have an interior life. And by the way, all this is not just sort of you know, warm, fuzzy talk by guys who love, you know, soul care. Actually, I think this is very consistent with what Jesus taught, that the Christian life is always inside to outside. It always moves from the invisible to the visible. It moves from the root and ultimately then the fruit comes as a result of that. It's John 15, abide in Christ and that the life of Christ will flow through you and produce good kingdom fruit. It's why Solomon said in Proverbs chapter four, above everything else in your life, guard your heart. And so I think you've got to understand that there is an internal life, a, a, a life that you have beneath the waterline. So if you think of the iceberg and that part that sits above the waterline that's easily visible, that's the externals of your life. But beneath the waterline, the backstage of what, what I call the backstage part of your life, where nobody's allowed, where there's no spotlight, no glory, that's what you've got to start paying attention to and understanding uh, again, I think some of it's understanding how you're wired, what your personality is like. I think we grow in self-awareness as we understand our family of origin. If you've never done a genogram and gone back and looked at your family tree and understood kind of what, what kind of things generationally have been passed down to you, some good and some not so good. Um, one of the helpful exercises for me, Alan, has been understanding what have been the scripts, the internal scripts that have driven my life. Like, it's the story I constantly tell myself. And I think it's actually helpful to actually write down and articulate the scripts that drive your life. So I'll give you one of mine. And it, it comes primarily from, you know, my dad's generation. And, and I have a great Christian family. But for my dad, one of his highest, you know, values was, was responsibility. So kind of the script that drove my life was work hard, be responsible, achieve, 
And that's how you get successful. And by the way, that's how you get loved. So when that's the script that drives your life, you're only as good as your latest achievement. When that's the script that drives your life, you're always going to be concerned about image management and what people think about you. And so growing in my self-awareness has helped me to understand that that's there. And um, I wouldn't say I'm over it. I suspect I'll struggle with this all the days of my life. But I think what is true is I'm able to spot it, name it, recognize it, and actually cut it off at the past so that it doesn't continue to do damage in my life or the people around me. So I think it's worth spending the time to grow in that self-awareness. That's really good. We talk about, you know, figure out what's the monster under the bed, you know, give it a name, describe it, uh, at least taking some of the power away, right? So it's not in secret any longer, um, which is why, I mean, we're kindred spirits of coaching and the belief that there's things other people can see in us that we can't see. And the irony is I can see things in other people they can't see and other people can see things in me um, that I can't. And I love that way of sort of God revealing many of our secrets um, through other people. We're wired for community, you know, for yeah. good or for ill, as frustrating as that can be um, for us. So talk about some of those other tension points maybe that are unique to leaders, especially spiritual leaders today. Maybe time, technology, uh, expectations of us having to hit it out of the park every week. What are some of those other tension points that you think are kind of rubbing at our souls as, as leaders in the 21st century? Well, I think a couple of them uh, come to mind immediately. One you just mentioned is the whole issue of technology. And again, I spend a lot of my time talking to people about having a healthy soul. And, you know, when you look at, at the New Testament and in the life of Jesus, some of what allowed him to, you know, live in that healthy soul space was life was slower um, you know, the, uh, the pace of life just in the culture was slower. He regularly pulled away. There wasn't constant noise. And yet in our culture, when we're constantly plugged in, you know, we, we, uh, have trouble concentrating, you know, often people will tell us that we no longer read deeply. We just simply scan and decode information. Uh, we think of life in sound bites. We don't know how to be still or silent or be alone with our thoughts. It's, it's wreaking havoc on, on the ability for us to have solitude um, in our lives, for us to pray or even concentrate while we read our Bibles. And so, you know, there's a lot of neuroscience these days now that's uh, sort of validating that um, if you're going to have a life that's centered and a life that uh, experiences rest and, and relaxation, that you're going to have to learn how to unplug. And um, I recently read a great book I would highly recommend called Digital Minimalism. And I think every, you know, leader, every pastor could benefit from reading a book like this and just learning to manage the technology that it doesn't own us, but rather I'm clear about what my values are. And then I use technology to serve me rather than me serve it. And so I think that's a tension point. It obviously creates some stress in our homes when we're not present with our kids or with our spouse. Um, so I think the technology piece is huge. Um, another one that I would point at that often doesn't get talked about is the tension point of ambition. And you know, um, most of us as pastors, we're ambitious people. Part of what God uses in us to call us into ministry is this desire to impact. And we have vision for what God could use our lives to do and how our churches could impact our communities. And, and nothing gets done except by ambitious people. And when it's governed by the Holy Spirit and when it's, you know, not driven by ego, it's a really healthy thing. 
But in ministry, it's really easy for what started off as godly ambition to turn into selfish ambition. And now all of a sudden, growing my church isn't just about the glory of God or about kingdom impact. It's about my need to be somebody, my need to be successful, my need to be known, my comparing myself to other churches or pastors in the community. And the deceptive thing about ambition is that we can wrap it in God talk and sanctify it. And all of a sudden we can put holy words on it, but really deep down, there's something that's kind of ugly. And I remember when I came out of Saddleback, the thing that the Holy Spirit shined the spotlight on most in my life was sort of this selfish ambition that really beneath the surface, a lot of what drove me wasn't just to love Jesus or impact the world. It was really about, I wanted to be known. I, I needed to feel successful. And, and, and I think just exposing that has been so helpful in my life. And I think it's a tension point because we do want to grow things and there's nothing wrong with growth, but I think we have to be ruthless about what's underneath it. What's the real motive behind some of that. And so for me, that's been a huge tension point I've had to wrestle with in my ministry. I got the opportunity to sit with Eugene Peterson, you know, on his deck. I mean, spend three days uh, with him. That's one of the biggest topics that we talked about. Um, just a couple of young pastors um, asking this old sage, Eugene, you know, a couple ways, uh, a couple years away um, from being with Jesus himself. Uh, and he said, ambition, we've got to make sure that we name it, we, we capture it and to name it what it is. So this is ugly and this is selfish. And yet that's many of the, uh, the reasons why we've been, you know, patted on the back, promoted, thanked. Um, and so we just have to be so careful with that. I really appreciate that. I, I heard that in the book, High Impact Teams. You kind of keep coming back to that. Is that kind of a theme for you, Lance? Oh, yeah. No no question. And, and I think part of the reason it's such a theme is because I feel like in this last generation, we've been pouring gasoline or fuel on, on the fire and gasoline on the fire of, of ambition. And again, We've had such great leadership training and inspirational, you know, conferences and people who have been challenging us to go and impact the world and change the world. Nothing wrong with that, but it's got to be connected to a healthy soul. So here's the illustration I love in this, that ambition is like raw electricity. It's full of life. It's full of power. It's full of amazing potential. But the only way to make, you know, electricity really helpful and productive is to attach it to a transformer. And it's got to have a transformer that governs it, regulates it, guides it. And it takes that which is potentially destructive and makes it productive. And I think you've got to have the transformer of a healthy, humble, all about Jesus soul. Otherwise, the raw electricity of the ambition in your life will not just wreak havoc in your ministry or in your church, but it will actually wreck you and even wreck your family. And so for me, it's been a huge issue uh, in trying to understand how to live and lead from a healthy soul. So we're all about ridiculously practical. So uh, what are a few ridiculously practical things that everyone listening who's a pastor or ministry leader could put into place? whether they're regular rhythms in their life, just ridiculously practical things we could do um, to become healthy leaders so, the, so that we can go the long haul. Um, I think one of them is to really re-energize your own personal connection with Jesus. When I talk with a lot of church staff people, pastors, and I dig down on their spiritual life, what they usually end up describing is it's kind of stale, stuck, and sort of mundane. And so I think you have to kind of reinvent 
what does it look like for me to have a different kind of relationship with Jesus? And I grew up reading the Bible very informationally. And in these last few years, I'm really like trying to read the Bible more relationally and focus more on not just breadth, but depth. And so like, here's one of the strategies I use. And so I'm reading three chapters in Matthew every day right now, but each day I'm reading two of the chapters I read yesterday and I'm adding one chapter new today. And what that's doing is it's allowing my soul to just marinate in the same chapter for three consecutive days and to see things I wouldn't, that I didn't see yesterday or even the day before. And so I think you've got to kind of re-energize. What does that look like for you? And then I think very practically, you got to get the word Sabbath on your calendar and I think you got to put it in your schedule. So if you looked at my calendar for the next year, you would find Sabbath on every week. Now, it's not always the same day because of my travel. But what I'm committed to is this rhythm of sort of a, a one in seven day rhythm of Sabbath. And then the five words I use to frame out how I think about Sabbath are prepare. There's some work to do to get ready to, to have Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. And if you could think about what would that look like in your family, in your season of life to put Sabbath through those five words. And then finally, I guess I would say um, really practically write down, get a three by five card and write down what is a script that has internally been driving your life and then articulate that, write it as clearly and concisely as you can. And then on the other side, write what is God's truth? that is kind of the antidote to maybe that lie or the story you've been telling yourself. Maybe write a Bible verse that kind of declares God's promise and truth instead of maybe that script or lie that you've been living out of. So I think if you could do those two or three things, you'd at least be putting yourself on the path to some greater health. One of the questions we always ask you answered for us is just how do you, how do you stay healthy? And so I love that you're practicing what you preach and, um, I, you know, I love that you mentioned prepare because I think sometimes it's like, well, just begin Sabbathing. Some things are going to have to die and we have to prepare. There was a lot of preparation they had to do in Jewish culture to make sure that they could take a day off of things that they had been pushing hard toward. And so um, and then the word delight really sticks out to me that how many times in the midst of the grind, the grind is devoid of delight. Right. And we just push so hard and you forget, oh, maybe I'm supposed to enjoy my cup of coffee instead of slurp it down real quick or enjoy the ride or enjoy when we live near the mountains, for goodness sake, if we can't delight here looking out the window, then jokes on us. Uh, so Lance, just really appreciate how practical you are in the trenches. We're going to have you back on the podcast. We want to talk about teams a little bit later. Um, but just give us a, a quick look. How can people learn from you, whether it's your books, uh, where are you at online? How can people learn from uh, all the amazing stuff that you're up to? Thanks, Alan. Um, of course, I have a website called replenish.net. You can find some uh, resources there, a couple of books, the, the Replenish book, which really in many ways is my story and uh, a lot of my own personal journey about learning to move from kind of being a driven workaholic type A personality to learning to live in a, a better rhythm and in a healthier soul. And then a new book called High Impact Teams. The, the tagline is where healthy meets high performance. And it's so it's really about how do we bring the synergy of teams that are emotionally, spiritually, and relationally healthy and also get a lot of stuff done in Jesus' name and are highly productive and uh, make kingdom progress in their team. So those are two or three places that you could find some help and some resources. 
Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Lance. Can't wait to have you back. Thanks, my friend. It's a joy to be with you. Man, I've loved getting to know Lance. And I just know that when he was speaking into our group of pastors at the Phoenix Philip, you could just sense that it was deep waters. It was stuff that we needed to hear. Uh, and it's just good at reminding us of some of those spots of brokenness and pain within our own stories, but also some of the things that we just miss along the way and that are so crucial for us to to pay attention to. Um, David, talk about something else that you feel like we miss as pastors along the way. Well, it, particularly this came out of the Phoenix Philip, but Lance was speaking to us there. And part of the thing that I was processing was, um, while it's great to be servants. And and most of us get into ministry because that's our heart posture. And the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Part of the thing that I was processing on the Phoenix Philip was, you know, does our inability to to accept kind of kind of physical earthly grace, you know, a good meal, um, the generosity of others, someone else serving us or someone else washing our feet, does that translate into our inability to accept the grace that God has for us? And I think it can get really unhealthy really fast. And and it's a spectrum and there's tension with that, that we didn't come or Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And, and we, you know, walk in those footsteps, but there's a moment in which that becomes unhealthy and we can't accept um, just grace, common grace in our life. And I think that translates in our, into our inability to accept the grace of the gospel, that God lavishes his grace out on us. And if we develop a muscle memory of, you know, pushing against grace in our lives of delighting in things or, you know, being spoiled or someone, you know, lavishing grace onto us that I think that that ultimately translates into our relationship with God. And so that's something I've been wrestling with is, you know, how do I accept grace in my everyday life and do I, or do I continually push against it? And so that when it comes to my relationship with God, I'm doing the exact same thing uh, instinctively. And so um, part of that idea of self-care and taking time away and taking time to just rest in God's grace or rest in some common grace that he's gifted us with, which is a great hike or spending time with friends or a good meal or time in a hammock. Like those are the things that I think um, when we're unhealthy, we push away and just move into full-on servant Martha over Mary mode. And it begins to burn us out. Yeah, we got to be so careful that we don't pick up that scarcity mentality, the idea that we're we're actually working for our identity. And we say, don't work for your identity, work from the space of identity. We're already God's kids. We just happen to be pastors. And so if you're listening to this and you are a leader, we always want to come back to that space of health, that we believe it is healthy for us to see our identity first, and then the impact that comes out of that. First, we are workmanship, and then we get to do good works that God has invited us into. So keep pushing it out there on the front lines. You're doing great work. Keep it up. But don't forget in the process that you are God's kid who are dearly loved by him. Thanks for rating and reviewing. We would encourage you to do that. And we'll catch you on the next podcast. Shot, shot. We focus so long.